Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Well, good morning to those of you on the East Coast. I know we have people who listen in from all over the world, and we're delighted to have you today. Um, You know, I have mentioned previously that, um, believe it or not, we are entering Um, in just about two weeks, 10 years as a podcast. And it's really hard to believe. A lot of times I tell people I've been doing it 10 years, they're like, wait, there were podcasts back then? Yeah, believe it or not. And so um, uh, the funny thing is, is that how it got started was just off of a whim. You know, I've told this story a few times, um, but I know people are constantly asking me how – and how did you start it? Why did you start the podcast? And I think one of my colleagues was just tired of hearing me um, come and just share these stories, to be honest with you. But they, you know, I, I early um, er in my career, I was doing um, a lot of consulting and, and work in various places, but it took me on airplanes quite frequently. And I would always have the good fortune of meeting people. And I still, to this day, um, just happen to sit next to some very interesting people. I've met authors and uh, people who are in movies on television. And it's just, I guess, it's a function of how frequently you uh, happen to appear on an airplane. But I'd, I'd meet these really interesting people. Or I'd be at a reception for a conference or, or something else, and I'd have great conversations. And they would be these conversations that, for some, take place right next to uh, a water fountain at work. But for me, they were taking place just different places, in the lobby of a hotel, uh, standing in line uh, for TSA. They might be um, actually sitting on the airplane. We have these great conversations. So week after week, I'd come back and I'd tell my colleagues, um, and they would always start like, guess who I talked to this week? Or they would ask, okay, it would be Monday morning. People would come to my office almost together and say, okay, tell us the next story. Who did you see this weekend? Sometimes I wouldn't, um, but it was kind of a running joke. And where where um, after a certain point, I guess after podcasts had become a re kind of a real thing, one of my colleagues said, "You should uh, first, He said, "You should have your own TV show, like where in the world is Brian Perkins?" But um, then um, later, on a more serious note, said, um, "Actually, you should think about starting a podcast because you, you have some really interesting things to uh, to share with people. And so I looked into it. I said, oh, this looks like it could be fun. And so I did. Uh, And here we are 10 years later, um, uh, me basically um, talking to um, just people that I might read a an article, I might see them on YouTube. And just so you know, my method is quite simple. Uh, It is 
finding articles and things that I'm personally interested in and then reaching out to people and saying, hey, do you want to have a conversation? I think people would love to hear us uh, talk about your work. And, and that's what I think is the success of Perkins Platform. Uh, today, um, we're scheduled to have uh, Dr. Eva Krakow, who is um, an expert on the topic of leadership and decision-making, but um, it really as it relates to kind of neuroscience and psychology. Uh, Dr. Krakow is an assistant professor in psychology at the University of Leicester um, in the U.K., and we that's the reason we're at 10 o'clock today, waiting on her to dial in. And I'm hoping that it was not because there's some uh, technical issue on our end. I know I encountered some technical issues, uh, but um, I'm hoping that um, she is able to join us and, and um, you know, uh, be a part of today's conversation. Um, so uh, we're waiting on her. Um, to, to dial in. But um, in the meantime, I'm happy to uh, facilitate some questions and uh, talk to some people because I also teach leadership and decision-making in my role here at Columbia University. Um, I teach um, uh, uh, a course in our master's degree program that is, in fact, entitled Leadership and Decision-Making. I love this course uh, because it is really a dynamic way to help people understand how to consistently make good decisions. And, um, and so when, when Dr. Krakow um, dials in, um, we'll, we'll go on to um, the next portion of what I'm not an expert in, um, but that has been the focus of her research on decision-making is decision fatigue. And while I didn't know that this was a, a real area, it, it, she um, does research on it. Now, I've, the reason I said I didn't know that it was a real area, um, I've experienced what I would consider to be decision fatigue, but I had no idea that it was something that was, uh, that was being studied. Um, at least I think I, I experienced it. Um, but um, and I, I would imagine there are a number of of leaders out there that like myself uh, spend all day every day making decisions day after day after day and quite honestly a lot of times it it just turns out to be uh, that I I don't even want to make a decision about what I eat how whether I take Uber or Lyft or whether I, um, I you know, walk or run. I just want things to already be done. Um, so um, I know that I have experienced it. But um, when, when I have students who first enter the course that I teach uh, on leadership and decision-making um, is uh, an introductory course, and I always tell them that we're just scratching the surface. Uh, so one of the first questions I get is that, so what, when you say decision-making, I mean, don't we make decisions? Aren't they all kind of independently made? And how is it that we um, spend time, um, how can we spend time uh, making decisions in some organized or structured way? And I, um, and I 
give them um, strategies for making decisions. Now, a lot of people think that these are all about making business decisions um, or making personal decisions. The truth is, is that it can be, these things can be applied no matter what to a variety of, of, of decisions that one would make. And so while we're waiting on Dr. Krakow, I um, want to share with you uh, some of the things that I do um, to when I introduce it to my students just to let them know what decision-making is about. And so um, I'll start with essentially there are seven components that we use and describe to help people make decisions. And this, I want you to understand that what this is about is about consistently making good decisions or consistently making the best decisions possible. I, often I, you know, when I'm called um, to, um, to consult or what have you, a lot of times people are like, I need help making a decision. I need help figuring something out. And, and so um, we, um, we, we go down this path. Um, so if any of you have any questions, I'm gonna, uh, I want to give you the number um, where you can dial in, and I'm happy to entertain anyone uh, for a short time. Um, but it is, uh, the, the call-in number is 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. Um, so let me, let me go back. So with this, this process, this uh, structure for making consistently good decisions that there are now there are individual decision making strategies and there are group decision making strategies i'm going to focus on just briefly today about making good decisions um, as an individual but these also some of these can be structured where groups can make it but i'm, I'm going to talk about these seven components that i teach about the first is about the first thing you do is describe the problem or the goal. Um, what is what is the issue? What are we trying to fix? What are we where are we trying to go? Um, often I say, you know, if we were in New York City driving to California, we have some decisions to make. Right offhand, our decisions that we need to make are either like train, plane, or automobile. Right? We have to say. First of all, we know our goal, and maybe even before that, sometimes we ask, where are we going? But if we know what our destination is, um, we, we have to first make some decisions about how we get there. So uh, plane, train, or automobile, um, and so that's what we're talking about, the description of the problem or the goal, um, there, there is an initial decision. Problem is that there's a gap between where I am and where I want to be. And so you have to make a decision. So that's framing this, and some people say, well, don't frame it as a problem. Frame it as a challenge. Um, so whatever language you want to use here, the issue is is that there's a gap. And there is, so where I am, for example, is New York City. Where I want to be is in Los Angeles. And so what I'm trying to do in the description of the problem is acknowledging and really understanding that there is a current state and another state, meaning state as in 
way of being, not actual physical U.S. state, but a current place where I am and another place where I want to be. And so um, how I define that is is critically important. Um, a lot of times it is, as it relates to decisions we're making, being able to describe or define the problem is more than half of the issue. And um, often that there are people who are are treating symptoms, if you will, but are actually defining things as problems when they are really just symptomatic of of issues that are that are the real problem. And so, uh, the description, the definition of the problem is absolutely critical. So that's the first component accurately and appropriately describing the problem of goal. Secondly uh, is to identify what additional data is needed. And you can say data or information. What else do I need to know? And so you have to kind of take stock of what you know and then figure out if, there's, if there are things that I need to know. Uh, what, what I think about... Uh, understanding what I, what I know, um, and, and I get people laugh a lot when I say this, is that you also have to know what you don't know. Now, that may sound really weird, is that there are things that I, I, can, I, I can know and I can get that information, but, for example, if, if I need to know how many people there are in a room so I can figure out if I need another room, is that I can say, oh, additional data needed. What I don't know is, there is how many people are there. And that is, in fact, you know, understanding what I don't know, which is a critical piece of information. So the second component is the additional data that is needed. The third thing that I recommend as a part of making good decisions is to take a stakeholder analysis. So who, who in this decision, you know, what are, who are the people in this decision uh, do I need to consider? So it doesn't matter. I, I, uh, this year I used as an example, it was like, hey, I mean, this could be things like a decision about what refrigerator am I going to buy? And sometimes I have to decide whether I'm going to involve other people in that decision. But in, in thinking about making a decision to purchase a refrigerator, that in my stakeholder analysis, I discover who it's important to, what are the features that I'm ultimately going to consider because of who my stakeholders are, who's going to use it. Who, and in some cases, they may be stakeholders, but they don't they don't hold an opinion or a preference and so but I still have to consider my stakeholders in that. So where we are now we have we've described the problem of the goal. We know that there's additional data that we need and we, we figure out or if we need it. Thirdly is we do a stakeholder analysis and then we figure out what, what how we're gonna make the decision. And we generally call that um, the decision model. So is it going to be um, a, 
a decision model where I am the sole person to make the decision, or am I going to involve other people? And if I involve other people, how I'm going to involve other people? So what is the way that we will reach the decision? Is it all mine? Am I going to get consultation from other people? Am I going to let others make the decision or get have influence? How am I going to make a real decision here? So we call that the decision model. Uh, next, um, we're at number five, is that we consider options. What are what are all my options? And so in we go back to what is the refrigerator we're going to purchase is that there's models that have ice makers. There are models that have ice makers that also do uh, whole ice in the freezer and ice that comes out in the door or crushed ice, no crushed ice, uh, water, chilled water, um, a light on the front. And now we have those that have um, uh, monitors and internet capability on the door. But so what are my options? And so that also applies to just decisions that we're making about where, what room we're going to use or um, how to handle uh, human resources challenge. But that we have to put our options out so that we know what we're considering. One option that people often overlook is the option to do nothing. So if we use the analogy I had with the refrigerator, you might decide, look, I'm not going to buy one. But that's an option. And in understanding that and doing that, choosing that option, which is that a decision has to be made, and if the option is to do nothing, in some cases doing nothing is doing something. And so the, the choice not to act is, in fact, there are consequences for no action as well. So, but it is, it is one of the most, in my experience, the most overlooked is the option to, um, the option to do nothing. So what have we said? Describe the problem or the goal first. Consider your additional data that you might require or that you, you need to make a good decision. You do a stakeholder analysis. You then decide what your, how you're going to make the decision. So is it an individual decision? Is it going to be a group decision or what? You consider your options. And then number six is develop an action plan. So what are my steps? So if I go back to I'm in New York and I want to go to uh, California, my action plan includes the steps. So I, I mentioned earlier, plane, train, automobile. So if my, if, my, uh, if my plan is plane, then which airport? So there are a series of decisions. How am I going to get to the airport? Once there, what airline am I going to take? Um, what time? 
So all of these are decisions along the way that a lot of times, now I'm not saying that you, you go through all seven components um, as you make individual decisions. Some decisions are really quick decisions. So you don't need to spend all of your time doing uh, individual decisions. But what you, what you think about is overall what I'm doing first, which is trying to figure out how to go from New York to L.A., as an example. So what? So actually developing an action plan, what am I going to do to accomplish closing the gap, which is what I desire to do, going from one place to another. So actually developing an action plan. And then the last of the seven components to good decision-making is your outcome evaluation benchmarking. How will I know? This is the basic question you ask yourself. How will I know when I'm successful? How do I know when I'm successful? How, what will be the measure of success for me as I, um, as I uh, solve this problem or as I make this, this, uh, make this particular decision? So then the answer is when you, when you circle back, is that I will know I have made a good decision when it looks like this. The, you know, and for us, going from New York to L.A., it is when I see the buildings that I'm looking to see in Los Angeles, when, I'm, when I see the sign that says Los Angeles, that's when I know I'll there, I'm, I'm going to be there. But this component is also overlooked and if not overlooked, because a lot of times people really do have an idea of what they want the future to look like. They have an idea of what they, where they want to be. But it is the next part, the, the second part of it that I talked about, I said outcome evaluation and benchmarking, is that having kind of signposts along the way to know that I'm on my way to success. So if if it is that, I am planning to go from one place to another, um, and I never look up to check to see am I on the right track. I could be a year down the road before realizing that this isn't working. And so you want to benchmark your decisions, uh, especially those that are are the kinds of decisions that have long-term uh, implications, you know, the ones that don't, you don't really get to the end. So we make a decision to use a certain product, and then we know that it's not going to work. We're not going to see the results we want for a year. But there should be some indicator to show that it is working and we're all we're getting there we're moving in the right direction and so make sure that as you make decisions that there are uh, these clues that are that are out there um, that you you explicitly um, for the most part you define yourself you say I you know in three months even though I'm, I'm gonna use this over the next year in three months I'll be here in six months, I'll be here. And in some cases, it's even a shorter time frame. At the end of the day today, we'll be here. And so just to recap, those seven components. So what we're talking about here today is 
um, decision-making and the seven components that I use for people to make good decisions. One, as I said, description of the problem or goal and goal. Two, um, consider what additional data you need. Uh, number three is that you conduct a stakeholder analysis. Number four is you decide what decision model you're going to use, and we're talking about individual versus group for the most part. Um, number uh, five is that you um, uh, articulate the options. You you have options that must be considered, but that you, you delineate those. Number six is that you develop an action plan. And number seven is you decide what your outcome evaluation and benchmarking will be. And so what this is essentially is a plan for how you consistently make good decisions. Now, I, um, I've had some people ask, but when do you know to apply these? Well, that's where less of the science and more of the art comes in, is knowing that, you know, this is a decision that's an important decision to make, and so I, I think I need to be deliberate and intentional about how I make the decision. You know, I, I don't know how many of you listening in are uh, this way, but I've run across a lot of leaders that if you ask them, you say, look, that, w that was brilliant. You made a decision and it had these outcomes. How did you know to do it that way? And a lot of times, more times than not, they'll say, I, I just, you know, I just looked at it and I made the decision. You know, it just seemed like this was the right thing to do. And there are a lot of people that operate and, and have a great deal of luck and success by just off the cuff making decisions. Now, some of it, they apply these um, strategies, um, and it's just because they know that you, you, know, you should consider other people. But there's no consistent way. And so when I ask them, how did you make that decision? It was a great decision. Most people say, I, well, I don't know, just did it. I mean, it just seemed to make sense to me. And what I'm suggesting to those of you out there in leadership um, positions is that you don't have to make decisions that are that have uncertain results now there to some extent you should be able to predict what it is that you um, are going to have as an outcome or at least in the direction and so this is a strategy and this is just one of many that I uh, teach about, but this is a strategy to say this is how you can consistently make good decisions. So if you've, you say, well, look, I haven't had, um, I haven't been unsuccessful at this, it's like, okay, great. So now what I just showed you is a way to get even better at making good decisions. And if you apply this, what's so powerful about this is that this is a way to intentionally deliberately make decisions in such a way that you have positive and good outcomes. Um, now, uh, one other thing, I know I'm almost out of time now, but uh, one other thing about this is that when you, you know, some of these, when I, I was talking about the art of it, um, also it's just that we're, what shouldn't happen is that you over-apply this. Because there are times, like for example, um, Pete, you're you know you're the leader, and someone comes to you and says, "Hey, there's a fire out in the hallway." You don't have to go through the seven components 
of making decisions to understand that we know we're supposed to get out of this room and kind of figure out how we get out, you know, whether it's the window or it's another door. But um, so I don't want you to over apply this um, this this strategy uh, for making good decisions, and um, and and that's where you know more so the, the practice in leadership that comes in around applying decision making models where you say um, I, I've I've become more adept at knowing when I need to pause I need to. Uh, take a little more time. Sometimes we don't have a lot of time to do this, but in this case, we, what we presume is that there's at least enough time to consider other um, information. And, and by consistently thinking about those components that I delineated for you, um, it, it just makes for um, uh, more uh, predictable results, but but making sure that you are maximizing uh, your results. So I hope that was helpful. And um, unfortunately, you know, here we are a half hour later. Um, something must have happened, and Dr. Krakow couldn't join us. Um, but I just wanted to, in the area of decision-making, I'm, I'm going to make sure that we reschedule her and make sure that she can come in because I, you know, I think there is something to, for sure, this um, this this construct of decision fatigue, um, and um, some of the people that I've talked to as well in leadership roles, it's just um, have experienced it as well. But as I was saying, you know, this this month and in a couple of weeks will be. Um, celebrating um, a full 10 years, a full decade of the Perkins platform. And um, we, we have a special treat um, that you will be, you'll, will announce and you'll see on social media, um, particularly those of you who have learned about Perkins platform on LinkedIn and, and maybe some other places, um, that we have a week long of, of shows every single night the week uh, celebrating our 10 years. And so I'm excited about it, and um, I hope you are too. Uh, it's been such a, a joy and, and delight for me in the week. It's one of the highlights of my week to sit down and talk to. I've been very privileged to talk to some of the world's leading researchers and authors here on this show. And so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next 10 years of just learning more, and I hope you'll be with me on the journey. So we have uh, next week, we have uh, a really um, uh, good show planned for you as well. Uh, we're going ha- to announce uh, more about that week of shows. We're pulling those all together. Um, but until next week, go well, stay well.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.